Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to Revolution. Good to be back. Um, I was in Arkansas and uh, and Sherwood, Arkansas, right outside of Little Rock, at Open Door Community Church, pastored by Randy McCain. Um, they have a conference every year. Um, where they give out the Peggy Campolo Carrier Pigeon Award, which I won in 2008. And um, it's basically an award that goes out to allies who are out doing work on behalf of the LGBTQ folks. And so it's uh, always a fun event. I got to see Reverend Vince Anderson, who was my co-pastor in Brooklyn, New York, and an amazing musician, and spent some time with him. And that was really fantastic. Um, it's funny because they do services and then they have huge potlucks afterwards, after every service, huge meals. And as an introvert, I was just completely exhausted. I gave a 72-minute talk while I was there. Um, and I'm going to give a little bit of it today, which some of it might be familiar to you, and that's okay, But because I'm just working out some stuff to take on the road. And uh, this is how comedians do it, is they practice. <laughs> I've never really practiced talks before. I usually just figure out 30 minutes before what I'm going to say. What's that? I'm yeah, I'm going to do some open mic sermons. You know, go to the open mic preacher bars. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. <laughs> so, um, no iPhones. No cell phones. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we're going to talk about a few things today. And, you know, you're, it's, you know, it's the Jay stuff. It's the stuff Jay's been talking about. Um, yeah, so it's been a good week. I caught a cold, and uh, smoking does not help with colds, so I've tried to lower that. I've even been using some lozenges, hoping to quit here in the next few weeks. Um... So keep your fingers crossed. Um, so a couple weeks ago, we had the talk about my mental health. And uh, man, that was I got a lot of feedback from that talk. And uh, I was really grateful for that from uh, the few folks here, online congregation, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, it, was, it was really nice. Um, to kind of hear that and to be a part of helping destigmatize mental illness, which is something that I think we all need to do because uh, everybody has mental health and some of us have mental illness. I think it's like one in five or something like that. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a worthy cause. And I get to talk all low today because... I'm been coughing. Um, so Luke 25 says, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I think we're all familiar with that story. If not, it's in um, Luke 10, 30. <laughs> Check it out. It's a good one. But basically, the Samaritan is the enemy to this man. So much of the point at the end of the talk, the man says, Jesus asks, who was the good person? Who did the right thing? And he goes, the man who helped. He doesn't even say Samaritan. Um, but I find that we often want to justify ourselves on who we, who is our neighbor. And we do this in so many different ways. Um, I, I see a lot of people, a lot of um, conservatives who forget that liberals are their neighbors and a lot of liberals who forget conservatives are their neighbors. And they don't want to mention it. And um, the progressives, really, lately, especially online, have seemed to get a little out of hand with this and seem to be missing the point that uh, they seem to be repeating the same process that the conservatives did years ago. But their argument is, but we're right. (laughs) And I go, that's funny because that was the argument I heard before. But we're right. And um, that's kind of uh, not how how we, we argue. In Matthew 5, I uh, got a pretty cool shout-out from a guy named, on, on Instagram, Queer Ex Pastor. And uh, he put in his stories, for all you wounded by the church and you still have this inkling to be one near Jesus or hear about, you know, Check out Jay Baker, Revolution. And then he's like, he'll read, then I think it was like trigger warning. <laughs> he'll read the Bible to you. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm reading the Bible to you. Um, but he's been awesome. He's been so encouraging. Um, I've had a lot of people who are ex-pastors recently um, encouraging me. Um, another thing is I want to talk about is when I was in, Arkansas at a very progressive church um, with a lot of progressive thinkers, I talked about this idea of loving your neighbor and loving your enemy and who is my neighbor. And and I thought I was going to get a lot of pushback. And ultimately I didn't. The most pushback I got was, I'm not going to say I liked your talk, but I'm going to say it challenged me. And that's all I ask. I try to help people think. You know, people who are still somewhat caught into this religious world and this religious thing and this Jesus thing to think a little bit. Um, that's my, my hope, at least. So, in Matthew uh, 44, uh, I'm going to start with 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven or mother in heaven, however you want to say it. Um, it goes on to really push that, saying, you know, if you just love those who love you, what difference is that than anything? And um, 
in some ways, I feel like we've lost this, this just like simplistic message of the Bible. Um, something ironically that my mother never seemed to lose. She seemed to live a life of contradiction and irony, and she could be on TBN, and then she could be, you know, doing a gay pride march, leading everybody in, yes, Jesus loves me. You know, she could just move and walk wherever she wanted to. And they were all like, and, and a lot of them just, oh, it's just so, it's Tammy Faye, she's cute, she's silly, you know. Um, and really it was like, no, she just loves people a lot. And if you want to see that as kind of, I'm trying to think of another word, campy, you know, that's fine, you know. You know, if the makeup got her through the door, love kept her there, you know. So one of the questions I was asking is, is what do we do with grace? Grace has always been my message. It's always been something that I'm extremely connected to. I have it tattooed on my body like three times, the word. <laughs> um, and what do we do with grace where how do how do we show it how do we give it how do we live it you know what do we do with it because it seems to be one of those non-negotiables of loving your neighbor or loving your enemy and one of those things of living a life of grace unmerited favor in some ways um so how do we give grace to each other you know do we just forget it do we let it go um, I was arguing online with someone and, you know, because they were saying, can you, you know, you, basically you can't be a Christian and a Republican. And I said, well, that sounds a lot like what Christians said about Democrats, uh, you know, last time a Democrat was president. Seems like it was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> was three years ago. And so... Um, <laughs> Long three years. Holy moly. Um, and so I quoted some King, some Martin Luther King Jr., as I do. And he's like, well, I'm more of a Malcolm X guy. I was like, okay. I get you. I dig Malcolm X. But now I thought about it later, and I was like, well, he's more of a Malcolm X post-conversion When, when he went to um, Mecca and saw people of all different colors worshiping together. And he came back, and he was still very, you know, any means necessary type of thing, but he was saying, we can do this together. He's like, our focus has to be on this issue, on the race issue, but we can still do this together. So ultimately... Even King, I mean, even even Malcolm, uh, we're on a first name basis, um, saw the need for integration, saw the need for people to work together. So I guess you you can choose who you follow by what time in the life you follow. So, but what do we do with this grace, this unconditional love, this unmerited favor, this forgiveness? What do we do with it? Hegel's philosophy of contradictions deprives subject of their enemies, which is also 
um, derive them. Uh, uh, oh, why did I write so horribly? Also deprives them of their image of self-identity. See, some of us have our self-identity. That was by Todd McGowan, by the way. Todd McGowan wrote about Hegel in this book, uh, Life After Hegel. But some of us find our self-identity in what we're against and who we're against. And I think for so long that that's been an argument about people in the church is that. But now it seems to be getting outside of that. I think social media plays a big part in that, is a lot of people just post what they're against. And even when they're approaching what they're for, it's always against, (laughs) it's often against something or someone or some group. And we will argue over everything. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just watched the, the, the arguments over uh, Greta, the 16-year-old who's, who's talking about climate change, and just watching people argue on both sides, you know, about this thing, you know, and I'm going like, you know, I see both sides, because I, I could see the both sides' arguments reversed. That's how I try to look at it, like, what if this was this side, and what if that side was that side? What if we, what if it was uh, the shoe was on the other foot, and would this group say this, and would they say that? And it's like, yeah, it kind of seems like this kind of we're all living in this contradiction of not realizing how contradictory we truly are with our arguments. You know, if it was the sixteen-year-old arguing against global warming, you know what I mean? Then you would then that group would say the exact same things. You know, it's it's it's. Um, I think it's just something we need to be aware of. You know, because uh, we've lost the art of argument. We've lost the argument of that. Grace allows us to embrace con- the contradiction of life. And it allows us to bra- embrace it not just for ourselves, but for others as well. And see those things and give grace to people in those moments of contradiction. So, am I known better for what I'm against? Is my self-identity tied to who I distance or who I disagree with? Um, But if we live in this idea of contradiction and loving our enemies, you know, and seeing that our enemies have this too, we can let that self-identity go. Um... Pete Rollins talks about in his in the book Divine Magician. He's like when Jesus died on the cross, he was completely stripped of his identity. You know that's what they did. You know he was no longer a teacher or Jew or whatever. He was just stripped completely of his worth. He was a criminal dying on a cross whose identity was robbed. Um, Paul says there's neither male nor female, no Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free. Um, Paul says, lose your identity. And it's hard when we live in a world that's based on, I, our, we are all so based on our identities. Well, I am this, and I am that. And those things almost become before we say we're human. You know, um, I saw this thing with, um, oh gosh, who's the comedian? I saw, it was uh, Richard Pryor. And 
he said that what he was trying to do with his comedy was end racism. And the guy was like, end racism? How could you do that? And he's like, well, we stop being afraid of each other and we start talking and we realize each other's common humanity. And he's like, people are afraid of that when we realize that we all are living together in a human experience. So we create a system that creates walls that keeps us from realizing that we're living in a human experience. You know, you have to call me this, you have to say this, you have to do this, you have to do that. I understand a lot of those things, I really do, but at the same time, I just want to question, are we putting up walls that keep us from sharing in a human experience? Because we have to give grace to those people who, are, who don't understand, who aren't there yet. Uh, prime example is my mother. Um, as I said, she was an, an icon, a gay icon. I, I mean, I've seen, you know, many people with her tattooed on them. Actually, they're doing a musical about her. They're doing a major motion picture about her. Um, they're still talking about her. I did a fundamentalist podcast with uh, Pete Rollins and Elliot Morgan that'll hopefully come out soon um, where we talked about that and talked about my mom. But um, one of the things like I thought about was is my mom was never fully inclusive. She loved people, but she was just, she's like, I believe in civil unions. I don't believe in gay marriage. You know, she never got to the point where she was like me. Matter of fact, I remember sitting down talking with her and saying, Mom, you know, I'm doing this. And she's like, well, do you have to say it? <laughs> Can't you just be it? You don't have to say it, you know. Um, and, and that speaks loud. She was like, look at my actions. I don't have to say anything. I just live, you know, just live your life. She's like, the Christians are going to destroy you if you say anything, you know. I didn't know, like, 10 years later, I would be thinking, like, my, my conservative, my liberal Christians are going to destroy me if I say anything, you know. Um, <laughs> It's just all Christians. It's just people, actually. Because I think this moves in and outside of Christianity. I don't think this is just a Christian problem. I think this is a human problem. This is a people problem. Um, But I was thinking about how um, I recently heard how Shane Claiborne, who's a social justice guy and, you know, turns guns into, like, shovels and fights against the death penalty and um but he has not quite arrived to the point of where he's completely affirming of lgbtq people and he spoke at a progressive festival called wild goose i spoke there one year um the first year um and when he went to go back to speak at wild goose they protested him some people protested him because he wasn't where they wanted him to be. And I thought, had my mom lived and not gotten to that place and spoke at somewhere like Wild Goose, which she had been protested. Now, the irony is, is when my mom passed away, she was protested by the Westboro Baptist Church, the ones who hold the signs that say God hates fags. Uh, I found a picture from one of the memorials and it said, God hates fag enablers. Um, 
they also had signs that was like Tammy Faye's in hell and all this stuff, and it was really awful. I, I actually drove by, and my friend drive by, and he's like, I don't want to drive by there. And I'm like, just drive by the protesters, please. And I rolled down the windows, and I just gave him two middle fingers. Because <clears throat> that's where I was at, you know? And someone was like, your mother would have never done that. And I'm like, you're right. My mom had a lot more love and grace for people than I do. That's why I have to talk about it all the time. She just showed it. Um, but do you see what I'm saying about the contradictions there? As how things have changed and times have changed a little bit? You know, <laughs> she was protesting because she loved people too much, but then someone else is being protested because they don't love someone, they don't, they don't include people enough. And so we often don't realize that people are on a journey. Um, I think what's more effective is if we learn to sit down with each other and find out why aren't you there yet. Now, I used to be do, I used to do this hashtag called Are You Gay Affirming? And I was going, and I would send it to pastors who everybody kind of thought were gay affirming <laughs> but wouldn't come out and say it. And I was trying to push them a little bit to come out and say where they stood. So I did that online. I was full of piss and vinegar. So I did that. And um, in, in uh, actually a few church, I had one big church in Seattle tell me that that was one of the reasons they became an affirming church was partially because of that hashtag. Whoa, that's pretty powerful, right? Um, and I've had a lot of people tell me I've done positive stuff like that. Um, and I don't think I've ever said this in public, and I'll say it now, is that I started it because I was friends with Shane Claiborne. <laughs> And he kept getting invited to these events. And I was wondering, like, why isn't he going to say anything? So I also pushed. Okay? There you go. There is the contradictions of life. And here I am 10 years later, 8 years later, saying, uh, maybe, maybe we should figure out a different way to do this. So now when I contact Shane, you know how I contact him? Direct message. That's how I do it. I'm not saying my way is the right way. I'm just saying think. Let's just think about how we, we work with each other and act with each other. Um, so, and I think a lot of this is to do is because we, we are constantly, and I've talked a lot about scapegoating, and I'm going to just talk a little bit about that right now is that we're constantly looking for scapegoats. And I think that's what Westboro Baptist was doing, I mean, to the point where they just became addicted to it, and it was the soldiers' faults. You know, all of a sudden it wasn't just gay people. Now it was like God loves dead soldiers and God loves... I mean, it was just sick. That's a, an extreme point. But we often scapegoat people because we don't want to see our own contradictions in our own lives. We don't want to be stripped of our identity, and we are allowed our identities to cause scapegoating. And uh, if you don't like this talk, I actually wanted you to uh, just know that it's uh, Pete Rollins' fault. Um, <laughs> thank you. But I'm, um, but when I was a kid, I saw I saw a lot of this firsthand. Um. Scapegoating firsthand when my parents fell, 
And this was the thing is that I saw that it was my parents had their big scandal and my dad had an affair and was convicted of, of, of I got overbooking hotels if I want to get technical about it, timeshare stuff. Um, he was never charged with stealing money, but everybody thinks that's what he did. Um, so he got charged with all this stuff. And man, my parents were on every talk show, talked about on every talk show, every late night show, on every Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, it was about them at the time. Um, people just could not stand them. And uh, it, was, it was a really strange time for me as a child to experience this from going to seeing them from being these beloved figures to these really hated figures. And it was weird to see that there wasn't one side. It wasn't, you know, like, people won't come together over children in cages being treated less than human, but they will come together over a fallen evangelical <laughs> in a second. Oh, I don't care if I'm a Republican or a Democrat. Those people are awful, and we're not like them. They're bad. We're good. I mean, it is weird what brings us together, that hate will unite us. A scapegoat that says we're not like that will unite us, but suffering of others will not bring us together. Unless it's animals. That's true. Animals do bring us together. So maybe we should treat each other like animals. Um which would probably be more humane. But, you know, the, the, the people don't, don't, you know, it's like so I had some conservative people say, well, those people, those kids are, you know, their parents shouldn't have done that, you know. And I couldn't stand hearing that. And that's where I will say to some of my conservative friends, shame. That's a shameful thing to say. And uh, you shouldn't say that. But... I try to still have a conversation with them. But I noticed both left and right had things to say. And as an example I want to use is um, Jimmy Swagger came out against my dad hardcore and said, you know, this Jim Baker is a cancer in the body of Christ. And he did just such a human thing, such a thing of contradiction, you know, was it probably not even six to seven or eight months later, he got caught with prostitutes, you know, and had his fall. You know, he was, uh, he was haphazardly human. Who knows what he was probably in an unloved marriage. I don't know, whatever, but he was told he was bad and he had to keep everything secret and his sexuality was oppressed and all that stuff. And so the man went and, masturbated in front of prostitutes just to be really literal because when you're assemblies of God you know as long as you do just do that you're still kind of okay if you're not having sex you know you could really justify everything um, you know as long as you don't penis to vagina Jesus is blind <laughs> God is blind to that as soon as the penis and vagina hit and you're not married oh you're done um, that was the big thing but anyway so he had his own justification, but he had his fall and everything. But the point was, is that we all fall short. You know, there's a, I think there's a verse that says that. We all fall short of the glory of God, but yet God in his gracious to kindness, what? Declares us what? Not guilty. We're all, we're all screwy. We all have contradictions in our lives. We're all human beings. 
Um, you know, it's just ironic when those who often search over these scapegoats, we all, it just, it doesn't work. And I'm going to get better on this. I'm going to sharpen this for my talk in, in Belfast. Maybe next week it'll be just about scapegoating again. I know you guys love that I either hammer away on scapegoating, depression, or Galatians. Those are your choices. No soup for you. Um, <laughs> Jay, could you do something on the Old Testament? No. <laughs> no Old Testament. Paul only wrote one book. It's called Galatians. Now I'm starting to just say he didn't write any of the other ones. No, I'm just kidding. Um, somebody, uh, Josh texted me. He's like, Jay, in Corinthians, Paul's talking about this unknown guy. And that's mentioned. And I'm going like, ooh, I don't, I think it might be the guy who slept with his mother-in-law, but I'm not sure because I haven't read Corinthians in like five years. I should probably do a sermon on Corinthians. It's not like I preach every week, so, you know, forgive me. (laughs) I get off topic a little bit here. Um. But I saw what that kind of thing does. I saw the hypocrisy of it. I saw what we do. And it's just we're all going through hell. I read this quote that said, when you're going through hell, walk through, like you, walk, walk through it like you own the place. And I liked it. I even put it up. And then I thought, you know, no. Hell is full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's here on earth. You know, I don't believe in a literal hell, but I believe in hell. And I believe it's, you know, you can't really do that so once again I ask this question and hopefully it doesn't fall on deaf ears is have we become what we hate are we doing what drove us away to others are we using the same rhetoric Um, I read this quote from from David Dark on Twitter. David Dark is a, one of my favorite writers. Uh, he's a good thinker. He's an interesting guy. Um, really interesting guy. David Bazan actually gave me my first David Dark book, and I really like the guy. Um, I'm sure we don't see eye to eye on everything, but he's a, he's a clever guy. And he wrote, Conflict avoidance costs us everything. And I shared that just recently on my Instagram. It's the last post I put up there. And it did. It cost me a lot. Um, But where it cost me a lot was conflict avoidance on a personal level. On a level with human beings. Um, I think Caleb could attest to this is that I am not the best communicator when it comes to relationship, right? Like I'm pretty good up here, but sometimes me and you one-on-one, sometimes I'm like, you know, probably like, where in the hell is Jay? What is he up to? I know he doesn't have the kids a hundred percent of the time. You know, Kayla like, Hey Jay, uh, what about this? <laughs> you know, the sky's falling, right? And I'm like, Oh, I forgot about the sky. Shit. Yeah, I'll heart it. <laughs> Love it, buddy. Keep up the good work. Um, yeah, I sometimes have an issue with communication. 
Um, and I'm working on that. That's my new thing. I had somebody recently say something to me that I completely didn't agree with. And it took me 15 minutes later in the conversation to say, hey, you know what? I have to come back to our conversation 15 minutes ago because actually that was wrong, what you said. And this is what actually happened. And I had to confront the conflict. I had to go to that conflict and and go there and make it clear that, no, that didn't happen. This is actually what happened. And um, that wasn't easy. But I, um, I would say that was probably the biggest problem in my last marriage was I did everything to avoid conflict. So I just said, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, you know. Oh, for, forget it. Never mind. And that's not me being a victim. That's me causing someone else to also to be a victim because I refuse to have conflict, because I refuse to have a conversation, because I confused, confused, uh, it's probably Floydian slip, but I I, I refused to work out the issues when they needed to be worked out because I wanted to be comfortable, because I was scared. And ultimately that cost me a lot. I don't think the true art of conflict, we don't have, we've lost the art of disagreeing well and and having conflict. And we need to have more conflict. Social media is not conflict. Now it seems conflictual, doesn't it? It seems like there's a lot of conflict on there. But it's really gossip with a comment section. Because how many arguments have been solved on Twitter? Don't even get me started on Instagram because that's all pictures. That's the weirdest place to have arguments. Or on Facebook. How many people have you been like, yeah, I just, what I love about Facebook is, is that you can post something you're really upset about and it gets figured out. How many people do you know who've just completely gave up on Facebook and usually the reason is, is conflict with family? Because everybody's on Facebook. Grandma's on Facebook. You know, every, almost everybody. Kids aren't mostly on, on Facebook anymore. Millennials, I don't think, like Facebook anymore. But very, probably for that very reason is because there's so much conflict. And then you have to be like, well, I opened up a private page. I have like three different Facebook pages. I can't get on my personal one anymore. I've somehow lost all the codes to get there. So people my, my personal world think I'm dead. Um, but you know, yeah, and I'm even on on Facebook. Mostly, my people who follow me are people who follow my parents, and so I just get this really weird mixture of conversations and conflicts. And I can literally say I've never solved the conflict. Maybe eight years ago on Twitter, there was one conflict I was having where me and the person finally just DM'd each other and said, "Here's our phone numbers. Let's talk on the phone." We talked on the phone and maybe got a little bit of the conflict resolved, but it still wasn't getting things taken care of. So once again, social media to me is a place where we go and we talk about things and we gossip and we have a comment section. And if you know anything about the comment sections anywhere in this world, especially on YouTube, you don't listen or read the comment section. You ignore it. 
but we've created places where we just have huge comment sections. It's ironic, really. And that's where we see a lot of this scapegoating, and this is where we see a lot of us not being able to love our neighbor or say anything because we just give these little smidgets, these little sayings, these little quotes, and then we just tear each other apart. So I'm going to turn to the answer book, the Bible. <laughs> okay, I don't think it's an answer book. I'm just kidding. Um, but I still dig this book, you know, still still my main source of preaching for now. And um, going to Matthew 18. How am I doing on time? I'm doing okay. Um, Matthew 18, 15. This is a new part. Just added it. And not, not, not Matthew 18, 15, but to this talk. And I'm slowly dissecting. Um, where are you, Matthew eighteen fifteen? There it is. I don't even have this highlighted. Hmm, strange. Um, it says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out this fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Okay? But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is often done in marriage with marriage counseling. You often need somebody else there to go like, hey, we're having an issue here. We can't figure this out, you know? And then what, what I've realized is good about having a mediator in that type of situation is, is both parties usually are playing a part in miscommunication, in the conflict, you know? Um, so you're saying, you know, we're not, I'm not going to avoid conflict. Matter of fact, I'm going to take my responsibility as part of the conflict. And so you bring a few people together and you deal with them. If the members refuse to listen, then tell the church, and if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such one be you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind in earth and heaven, blah, blah, blah. Now this is what's interesting. Jesus is telling this story, and he's saying let him be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Um, but Jesus is sitting there with Matthew as one of his disciples who is what? A tax collector. What does Paul do with the Gentiles? He includes them all. So we're stuck with this story that kind of thinks, well, you're supposed to, because people used to use this one, this sermon, this verse a lot about my parents and why they needed to be torn apart, and why they needed to be publicly shamed. Now, going to the church when this book was written 2,000 years ago 
was not going to the mega church and getting up to the microphone or coming even to this small church here and getting up at the microphone and be like, Jay did this and we need to talk about it. No, it was saying we're all going to sit down together at a table and we're going to say there's an issue here that can't be solved. How do we solve this problem? And then you find out if the problem's solvable or not. And, you know, and if people need to split ways or not. That's, that, was, that was the thing. It was saying, conversation. Have a conversation. Argue well between each other. Don't scapegoat each other. Don't hate each other. Don't make each other enemies. Uh, it doesn't matter what your social standard is or where your social state is. What it is is just try to work this out. Come together and disagree well. If you can't disagree well, bring in some other people who might help you what? Disagree well. If these people can't help you disagree well, go to the body. Go to a group that you trust and you you know and bring this to them and have this conversation. A lot of like what we do with Afterglow. We have a conversation about what was just heard. And sometimes what happens there is we disagree. And what do we do? We disagree well with respect and love. And if someone becomes like a Gentile, it's saying basically, or a tax collector, it's saying that person somewhat is maybe your enemy, but what do you do to your enemy? You love your enemy. You don't persecute them. You love them, but you know what? you realize maybe you have to love them from afar. But what does it say about love? Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I believe it's in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians where Paul says to cast the person out of the church and tell them to leave. And so they do that. And then what does Paul say? I was testing you to see what you would do. Now it's time to bring this person back into the church and restore them. Holy smokes, we forget that part. You know, we forget the part where Paul begs, I beg you to be of one mind and one body. I beg of you to do this. But anybody who knows anything about humanity knows that if we're going to do that, we are going to learn how to disagree well. 